Hey, this is Pastor Bradley, and I want to welcome you to the Res Church podcast. Res Church is a place where people discover life through knowing and following Jesus. And so we hope that you will be blessed by this message. We are in a series uh, through the book of Romans. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Romans chapter 2. We'll pick up right where we left off in Romans chapter 2. This has been a fantastic study. Uh, And while you're turning there, um, let me remind you that, like I said last week, beginning with chapter 1, verse 18, if you haven't been with us, Paul begins to take us on what you might call a tour of the human condition. He's taking on us on a tour of the human condition. And his purpose is to accentuate or highlight the terrible condition that humanity finds itself in because of sin. And he's doing this in order to also accentuate and highlight our desperate need for the gospel. One of the things we said last week is that everybody needs the gospel. There are no exemptions. Amen? So the first stop on this tour of the human condition was the pagan. The pagan. The immoral pagan. Paul says that when he talks about humanity in general, he says humanity is suppressing the truth that God has made plainly known about himself in the things that he's made. Paul said that God has made his divine nature and eternal power clearly known in the things that he's made. Everybody knows there is a God. Even if you know people who say, I don't believe in God, the Apostle Paul would answer that and say, They're suppressing, they're holding down the truth. And this suppression of truth that God has made known has given rise to all manner of evil and unrighteousness. And so Paul said that our righteous God is pouring out wrath against evil and unrighteousness right now. That is what God is doing. And that's so important for us to know because I don't know what you've been told But when you are saved, when we are saved, we're not just saved from poverty. We're not just saved from circumstantial difficulty. We're not just saved from bad habits and bad behavior so we can turn over a new leaf and start doing good things and good behavior. That's not what we're saved from. We're saved from the wrath of of a righteous God against unrighteous humanity. So that was the first stop on the tour of the human condition. Here was the second stop we looked at last week. The moralist. The moralist. Who's the moralist? Well, the moralist is the person who hears Paul address the pagan and says, You get them, Paul. That's right, Paul. You tell those immoral pagans they're going to get what's coming to them. And here's what Paul says about such people. In fact, he gives them a really good shove off their moral high ground. He says, you look at other people and you judge them and you do the same things. And you condemn yourself because you you focus your attention on other people and their sin and evil all the while ignoring your own sin. And so here's the conclusion we came to last week. You cannot establish a standard of good, an absolute standard of good by comparing yourself with other people. It doesn't work. The only way we can have an absolute standard of good is by comparing our condition and our sin and our evil, even our good works, 
to our righteous, holy, and good God. He is the absolute standard of what is good. So you might have come to church this morning if you've been with us hoping that we were done with all this wrath and judgment stuff. Let's get back to the good news. We've been living in the bad news for a couple of weeks now. Can we get back to the good news? And let me just relieve you of that expectation. We've got a little ways to go. I, I realize that these first few chapters of Romans can be hard and heavy. But here's what I want us to understand. Paul's primary goal in highlighting the human condition is to increase the believer's joy. The primary reason we spend all this time on God's wrath, on the unrighteousness of humanity, and judgment is so that the believer's joy can be accentuated. Let's remember who it is that Paul is writing to, okay? Look look on the screen at chapter 1, verses 6 and 7 of Romans. Including you, and Paul's talking about the Romans, Christians in Rome that he's writing to. He says, including you who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. Is he talking about pagans? He's talking about people that belong to Jesus. Next verse. To those in Rome who are loved by God. Are people that are loved by God experiencing his wrath? No. People are loved by God and called to be saints. Not unrighteous people anymore. People who have been made righteous. He's not writing to people that are under wrath. He's not writing to people that are even like smug, self-righteous moralists over the, in the corner pointing their finger at everybody else. He's writing to people who have been called to belong to Jesus. So why then, Paul, are you spending so much time and ink on wrath and judgment? And I think Paul would answer this way, for your joy. The more clarity you have about what God has done in saving you from His wrath and judgment, the more joy you will have in Him and in the gospel. So I want us all who are saved to put that lens on as we continue to wade through chapter 2 and into chapter 3. Put that lens on knowing that what Paul is writing about is an opportunity for you to step into greater joy. To step into greater peace knowing that this is what God has done in Jesus Christ. If you're not saved, if you're not a believer, this is an opportunity for you to step into joy as well. Because you can stop relying on your own efforts. You can stop relying on playing the comparison game with other people to try to make yourself feel better and look better. And you can trust in Jesus who doesn't put up facades or put, on, put masks on people to make them look good. He actually makes people good. Yeah. So let's pick up where we left off. Chapter 2, verse 6. My keys are in my pocket, Mary, and they're bothering me. I never take my keys to the platform. I don't know why I did today. But. Romans chapter 2, verse 6. Paul writes, and he says, He, talking about God, will render to each one... According to his works, to those who by patience and well-doing seek for glory and honor and immortality, he will give eternal life. But for those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth but obey unrighteousness, there will be wrath and fury. 
There will be tribulation and distress for every human being who does evil, the Jew first and also the Greek, but glory and honor and peace for everyone who does good, the Jew first and also the Greek. So Paul's telling us some stuff about God. First of all, he's telling us that God is just, that he is righteous, and that his judgment is just and righteous. What does that mean? Simply put, here's what it means. We'll boil it down as simple as we can make it. God is the kind of God who rewards good and punishes evil. Plain and simple. God is the kind, that's what Paul's saying. God is the kind of God who rewards good and punishes evil. And he says that twice. Paul says it twice. You can follow along your Bibles real quick. Verse 6, he says, He will render to each person according to their works. Verse 7, Those who patiently seek for glory and honor and immortality, eternal life. Verse 8, Those who are self-seeking, don't obey the truth, obey unrighteousness, wrath, and fury. Pretty plain, isn't it? I know it's going to be hard to amen, and that's okay. I'm going to let you off the hook today. And then he says it again a second time. Verse 9, those who do evil, tribulation and distress. Verse 10, those who do good, glory, honor, and peace. And then to put an exclamation point on it all, he said God is completely impartial. He does not regard the Jew over the Gentile. Now, you need to understand this. Paul is kind of doing a little compare and contrast thing with Jew and Gentile. If you don't know anything about that, let me just sum it up. The Jew, the Jewish people, he's talking about historical Israel. In the Bible, we learn they are God's chosen people. For centuries, they enjoyed the affection and attention of God. And God, through this man named Moses, gave them his law. You with me? So that's Jew. Gentile is basically anybody that's not a Jew. That doesn't have that kind of heritage. I, there might be a, a person who has a Jewish heritage in this room this morning, but I would venture to say 99.9% .9 of the people in this room at least are Gentile. Okay? So look at the person next to you and say, that's you. So he says, God shows no, impartial, no partiality. Jew or Gentile. Jew or Greek. Doesn't matter. He wouldn't be a righteous judge if he did. So here's what we need to know. God is the kind of God. He's a righteous judge. He's going to reward good and punish evil. That's what Paul is saying. Now, let's unpack that, okay? Three things, if you're taking notes, we need to know about God's righteous judgment. Here's number one. God's judgment will be 100% just. God's judgment will be 100% just. That's hard for us to fathom, isn't it? I mean, it's hard for us to even imagine a judge dispensing justice without 100, with 100% 100 perfection. How many of you remember the O.J. Simpson trial in the 90s? Right? It was called the trial of the century. Right? And, and the big question that lingered for years after he was acquitted, did O.J. do it or did he not? Why is that? Because nobody really knows for sure what happened that night. Only three people were there, and two of them were dead. Right? 
And even though he was acquitted, in cases like that, we watch as our finite justice system endeavors to bring the truth to light and dispense justice. But sometimes we're left wondering, was justice served? Or is this just another case of the better lawyer winning the day? Right? This is the title of my message. Will justice be served? Here's what Paul tells us. Absolutely it will, because when God judges, it will be 100% just. There will be no shadows for the truth to hide in. There will be no legal loopholes for skilled attorneys to exploit. There will be no circumstantial appeals. Before the judgment seat of God, there will only be silence. As God in His omniscience dispenses justice with absolute perfection. He is a righteous judge. His judgment will be 100% just. Here's number two. God's judgment will be 100% impartial. God's judgment will be 100% impartial. There will be no appeals to circumstantial realities. The Jew will not be able to stand up and go, Hey God, but wait a minute. I'm a Jew. I, I, have, I have a heritage. I'm part of God's chosen people. You know, my family, we went to the synagogue every Sabbath. We, we always observed Passover, right? I've even memorized the Pentateuch, God. None of that. And, and you know what? That's a sobering thought because we live in a culture, we live in a churched culture. And most of us in here have grown up in a relatively Christian-friendly environment. And we have lots and lots of people that go to church, We have lots and lots of people that read their Bibles occasionally and pray occasionally. We have lots and lots of people that pay their tithes. We have lots and lots of people that regularly observe Christmas and Easter. But can I tell you something? National heritage, family heritage, grew up in church, went to Sunday school, had kids' church teachers that use flannel graphs and put pictures up on there. You know, it, it doesn't matter how much church you have, there's going to be no appeal to that. All the works of men and of women will be laid bare and God will reward good and punish evil, period, plain and simple. There will be no appeal. Your, the faith of your grandparents will not save you. The faith of your parents will not save you. Occasional Bible reading will not save you. Occasional charitable deeds will not save you. Because you know all the songs that the church sings, it will not save you. God will be completely, 100% impartial. He'll reward good and He'll punish evil. You know, He begins chapter 2 with... This statement, he says, therefore you have no excuse. Who's the you he's talking about? I think it's a hypothetical you. I think he's he's thinking specifically about his Jewish kinsmen who would 
stake their eternity on the faith of Abraham, their father. Who would stake their salvation and their justification on people like Moses, Daniel, King David. Well, I'm, I'm a part of David's kingdom. No. Paul says, the Jew first and also the Greek, he will be 100% impartial. Here's number three. God's judgment will be 100% true to his absolute standard. God's judgment will be 100% true to his absolute standard. Look at verse 12 of Romans 2. Let's keep reading a little bit further. He says, For all who have sinned with, without the law will also perish without the law. And all who have sinned under the law will be judged by the law. For it is not the hearers of the law who are righteous before God, but the doers of the law who will be justified. So let me, let me sum it up. To the Jews, those of you who have the written law of God, you will be judged by the standard of God's law. If you sinned against God's law, you will be judged by God's law. And then he says to the Gentile who doesn't have the law of God written, you too will be judged by God's law. And, and you might sit there and go, wait a minute, Paul. That's not fair. That's not just. How is that just that someone who doesn't have the written law of God would be judged by the law of God? He answers the question, verse 14. For when Gentiles who do not have the law by nature do what the law requires, they are a law to themselves even though they do not have the law. They show that the work of the law is written on their hearts while their conscience also bears witness and their conflicting thoughts accuse or even excuse them on that day when according to my gospel, God judges the secrets of men by Christ Jesus. So, here's what Paul just said. In the same way that God has made, think back to chapter 1, His divine nature and eternal power known in the things that He's made, here's what Paul says. He's also made His law known in the way He designed the human conscience. You don't have to tell people Murder's evil. Stealing, lying, cheating, adultery. Nobody has to be told that's evil. Why? It's written on our hearts. And so Paul says, whether you have violated the written law that you have and know, or whether you violated your own conscience, no one is excused. There'll be no excuses, no loopholes, no questions, no, attorney, no attorneys. The absolute standard of good will judge the works of men. The absolute standard of good will judge the works of men. And here's what's really interesting to me. 
is Paul, said, Paul summarizes the law of God not in a statement, but in a person. Look at verse 16 again. He says, On that day, when according to my gospel, God judges the secrets of men by who? By a person. He's the standard. So you might be a law keeper. That's the next stop on the tour, in case you hadn't discerned that. You might be a law keeper. Or you might be a Gentile who's never been in church, never had the law, hasn't heard sermons, but your own conscience testifies against you. You violated the law of God, and all will be judged by God's absolute standard personified in His Son. I'll come back to that. Let me give you an analogy. When I was in school, I was never really good at math. Um, I didn't like it. And it drove me crazy when my math teachers required me to show my work. Can I get an amen? Show my work. If I get the right answer, that's all that matters, right? And sometimes they would give me multiple choice tests. Now, I was never really very good at math, but I was pretty good at multiple choice. Because I had a one in four shot. And not always, but a lot of the time, if I had the question and the answer in front of me, I could work my way back from the answers to the question because there was always clues, right? But here's what the teacher would do. The teacher would say, all right, we're gonna, here's the test. It's multiple choice. But if you don't show your work, I'm going to deduct 10 points. So I had a dilemma. 10 points. Okay. I got a shot at a 90. You smelling what I'm cooking? I got a shot at a 90. And 90 is an A. Right? 90's an A, so my parents like A's. A's get you far in life. If I get an A, what does it matter? It doesn't matter if it's a 91, 94, 99, or a 100. I still get an A. Can I just tell you some truthful and good news? That doesn't work in the kingdom of God. According to God's absolute standard, only 100% enters into eternal life. A C minus keeping of God's written law or a B plus keeping of your own conscience won't cut it. And, and here's why. Look at Matthew chapter 5. It'll be on the screen. You can turn there if you want. Matthew chapter 5, verse 17. These are the words of Jesus. And Jesus says, Do not think that I've come to abolish the law or the prophets. I've not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. Whoa. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not one iota, not, not a dot, Put that in English translation, not a dot over an I or a cross over a T 
will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. And now it gets really, woo. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you'll never enter the kingdom of heaven. Who are the scribes and Pharisees? They had this memorized. They knew it backwards and forwards. They prayed all the time. They didn't violate the law. They kept it. Every jot and tittle. And Jesus said, unless your righteousness exceeds theirs. You won't have any part in the kingdom of heaven. All deeds, good and evil, will be measured by Christ Jesus himself. Jesus fulfilled the law because he kept it to absolute perfection. Never sinned. Never violated his conscience. Never broke the law of God. He did everything his father told him to do. He executed perfectly, and that's the standard. When Paul says, think back to chapter 2 in Romans, for those who seek glory and honor and immortality, eternal life. He's talking about the standard of Christ himself. When he says, those who in patience seek well-doing, they will receive the goodness of God. He's talking about the standard of Jesus Christ Himself who fulfilled the law. This is the place in Scripture where a common human misconception is obliterated to smithereens. Here's the misconception. As long as my good outweighs or outnumbers my bad, I'll be okay. As long as I, whether you've got the law or not, as long as I hit 9 out of 10, 7 out of 10, I won't show my work, but I'll get 90 and that's still an A. No. There's no getting close. Jesus is the standard of what is good. And so here's what we're coming to understand from Romans chapter 2. Though the common misconception is as long as my good outweighs the bad, I'm all right. Here's the reality. Here's the truth. One law break, one conscience violation cancels every good before a righteous and holy God who will judge with 100% justice, 100% impartiality, and 100% keeping of his absolute standard. So what hope do we have? This is where we've come to. The end of the, we, let's go back to the end of the tour. We read it last week, Romans 3.23. For all have sinned. 
and fall short of the glory of God. Everybody, everybody. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. No one measures up. And if, you're, if you read that and you go, oh no. That's the place where Paul invites us into joy. Because, I want you to say this with me. I want you to say this word, propitiation. Can you say that with me, please? Propitiation. It's probably words you don't use. <laughs> probably, maybe some of you are not familiar with that word at all. But we saw Paul use that word when we read from the conclusion of this tour last week. I'm going I'm to read it again. Romans 3, 23 to 26. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Jesus Christ, whom God put forward as a, let's say it together, propitiation by His blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in His divine forbearance He passed over former sins. It was to show His righteousness at the present time so that He might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. We're about to celebrate this right here. Praise team, come on. Here's what propitiation means. It means... It refers to Christ's atoning sacrifice that appeased the wrath of God. He was our substitute for the believer who trusts in Christ's sacrifice, God's wrath was appeased. How does that work? Okay, because remember, God is 100% just. He's 100% impartial. And he's 100% true to his absolute standard. So how, how does it... God's not inconsistent. Paul's not talking out of both sides of his mouth. God rewards good and he punishes evil. Say that with me. God rewards good and he punishes evil. So here's what happened. Jesus... Fulfilled the law. Perfect. Ten out of ten. Hundred out of a hundred. A million out of a million. Perfect. Think of two accounts. If you're saved, think of Jesus' account. His works. His keeping of the law. His keeping of His conscience. He was fully human, fully God, so He had a conscience just like you and I. Think of His account. Perfect. Pure as the freshly fallen snow, not a blemish on his record. Think of your record. All right? There it is. So here's what God did in his mercy. He charged to Jesus' account every evil for the saved that you have ever will ever commit charged it to him as if he did it seems like there's a place in the Bible somewhere that says he who knew no sin became sin for so he charged it to him as if he did it God rewards good 
punishes evil. When my sin and your sin was charged to his account, what happened? God punished him. As if he did it. Jesus screams from the cross. Why have you forsaken me? We cannot fathom. We cannot fathom the weight that was put on him. Just take the sin in this room. Much less the sin of every believer, past and present, was laid on as if he did. And then God rewards good and he punishes. So he charged our sin to Jesus' account and punished him. And then guess what he did? In his mercy, he charged Jesus' righteousness to our so for the believer when you stand before God the righteous judge it will not be by your works that you're judged it'll be by his because he became the propitiation for our sins that God could reveal His righteousness by being both just and the justifier. God's not inconsistent. We are. He's not. He rewards good and He punishes evil. So in order to save anybody, the only hope that we have is not that it's not built on comparing myself with you or you with me or you with somebody else so that I can go, well, I'm not like that at least. I might have only hit 8 out of 10, but they're like maybe a half out of 10. I mean, you, you, you can try to make yourself feel better that way. But the truth is, the only hope we have is that God, who is 100% just, 100% impartial, and 100% true to His standard, could take bad people and make them that's why we sing the cross is my victory the cross is my victory behold the lamb of god who takes away the sin of the world he was righteous and he took my sin and took the punishment for it so that I could go from being a child of wrath to being a child of God. Go ahead. You should. Celebrate it. I've said this before. It's not our arguments. It's not our it's not even our memorized scripture, although I believe in that. It's not, our, it's not our ability to do churchy things or look good and wear churchy clothes or even to 
dive into apologetics with people and try to reason and philosophize and convince people. That's not what attracts people to God. What attracts people to God is our joy. <laughs> that this could be true? How could this even be possible? How could God do this? How could He make this happen? He doesn't compromise. He doesn't sweep things under the rug. He doesn't, he doesn't turn a blind eye and give you a pass because of who your grandma is. No. There will be unbridled joy in heaven for one reason and one reason alone. It'll be because of the grace of God shown to us in Christ Jesus who knew no sin but became sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God. I want you to stand to your feet and start to praise Him and thank Him. If you're saved, just let your joy in this good news overflow this morning if you're not saved reach your hands and your heart and your mouth out to this God call on the name that is above every name and be saved not because you just turned over a new leaf but because God imparted something to you you could not obtain on your own receive it by faith the righteous shall live by the righteous shall live by. Oh, Holy Spirit, would you do what only you can do? I'm a herald. I'm, I'm nothing more than an announcement. But this letter that you inspired Paul to write said that the gospel is the power of God to salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew and also to us Gentiles in here this morning. There's a righteousness of God that's revealed from faith for faith. And the righteous will live by faith. So we, in faith this morning, we celebrate that we've been saved from wrath and judgment. That you have been good to us. And for those among us who don't know, who don't yet believe, we pray, call them to faith by your Spirit. As your Word has been proclaimed, call people to trust in this cross of Christ that is our victory. Amen. Let's sing about it. We hope that the Lord has blessed you through today's message and we would love to hear from you. Tell us how God is working in your life and how we can pray for you. You can also help us reach others by investing at resfaith.com give. Thanks again for joining us.